Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. I misplaced my mask earlier, but it's good. I carry a Marvel backup. Well, I want to begin this morning with an apology and confession. Uh, for those of you who tried, who were here this morning, who last week tried to view the uh, worship uh, service online and struggled to do so, well, you weren't alone. Uh, we had difficulty, as we've had for the last few weeks, uh, different challenges each week that we've been sorting through and figuring out. And after a lot of hard work this week, I'm glad to know that we were able to get uh, the live stream going this Sunday. And I want to mention that every sermon, even part of a sermon series, is meant to stand on its own. So if you also tried to go back and find maybe the sermon on the podcast or try to find a service recorded and uh, put on the website later as we've done before, well, last week was so crazy that every backup thing, every recording went down for one reason or another and we had nothing from last week's service. But good news, every sermon is meant to stand on its own. So even though you may have missed the first Sunday in the sermon series, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do a slight recap from where we've been, and then we'll enter into some powerful and challenging stories from Matthew's gospel. So last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teaching there about a very famous, famous teaching, do not judge, and how it would be easy, easy for us to say, yeah, that's about all those judgmental people over there, when Jesus really is talking to his own disciples, his closest followers, encouraging the church, you and me, to consider what it means to be judgmental. And Jesus challenges his disciples, challenges the early church, challenges his church, you and me, to notice that there are indeed, whether we like it or not, logs in our eyes. Jesus says, don't go taking the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a log in your eye first. Pay attention to the log in your own eye. Now, one of the ways social scientists have um, observed these logs in our eyes is by documenting different kinds of biases that we just, we just have. We tend to have these observable uh, biases that impact us because we're human. And as human, we've learned over time, evolutionarily, to adapt and try to conserve energy. So when we're threatened, we have the energy we need to fight, flight, freeze. Is that the other one? Yeah, hopefully not freeze. Um, and, and so over time, we've developed these shortcuts that are designed to help us in these moments. But the problem is sometimes... Sometimes we get stuck in them. Sometimes we fail to see how they don't capture the whole picture. Sometimes we need to learn to take the log out of our eye so we can see clearly. Indeed, the teaching of Jesus is he wants all of us as faithful followers of God and the way that Jesus shows us to be able to learn to see again, to look again, having acknowledged and perhaps removed the logs in our eye. So last Sunday, we looked at a few, a few biases that we have, and that when, when we kind of name them, we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And we might be quick to point out, oh yeah, those people over there, they have them. Again, Jesus is wanting to remind us, these impact us as well. The first, the first was confirmation bias. Again, we want to preserve and conserve energy. So we look for and accept and are likely to agree to ideas, people, experiences, data, information that confirms what we already think. Why? Why? Because then we don't have to change our mind. 
If someone says something, if you have an experience, if there's a study that shows something that you already think is true, well, good, let's hold that up. But if anything challenges what we already think, we're quick to ignore or dismiss that because it is work, energy to change our minds. We also looked at complexity bias. Complexity bias looks like this. Um, The more complex something is, the more energy, mental energy, you have to put into addressing and working with it. So it's much easier to just take something that's simple. And so uh, this uh, quote that's attributed to Alexis de Tocqueville goes like this. We are more likely to prefer a simple lie to a complex truth. We're more likely to agree to and to take in and to hold on to a simple lie and to a complex truth. Well, I want to I want to pause right there. Quick aside. That's what I'm doing when I move like this. Quick aside. Uh, I don't want to demean or disparage simplicity. I want to suggest there's two kinds of simplicity. There's the simplicity before complexity, and there's the simplicity after complexity. A, a pastor helpfully kind of put this in perspective for me. There's the simplicity we have where we just dismiss the more complex realities of life, and there's a simplicity that we can come to after having gone through and dealt with and addressed the more complex realities of life. Our complexity bias exists on the front end. When we just don't have to deal with all that stuff, it's just much easier this. Again, we're not bad because we have biases, but Jesus wants to challenge us not to be stuck in our biases. And there are some more biases out there. I'm grateful for the work of Brian McLaren, a pastor, former pastor and author and speaker. And because he has that pastoral lens and because he was willing to sort through the social scientific literature, pulled out all these different biases and gave them all a name that starts with the same letter. I love alliteration. So you'll notice that these biases all start with the letter C. That's right. So we have confirmation bias, complexity bias, and we're going to deal with three more biases in a moment. I also want to say this before we enter into Scripture, that while we may see and observe and agree to this idea that we're all biased, the church has been saying this for some time. And we have a word for it, and it's a word that's scary. And we might even be biased towards this word because it's been weaponized and used to shame and hurt people. The word is sin. I'm not talking lowercase s sin. I'm not talking the the actions, the mistakes that we might have made. I'm talking capital S sin. The forces, the perspectives that are at work on us and in us that we can't help but be influenced by, that shape our ideas, that shape what we care about, that shape what we do, and sometimes are invisible to us. St. Paul talks about this in the New Testament. Jesus recognizes this. When he says, I want you to see clearly, he's saying maybe we need to pay attention to those things that are in our eyes, but we aren't even aware of. Now, perhaps you've seen the way that sin has been weaponized in the church to exclude and marginalize and kick people out. But what Jesus wants us to see is that there are forces that are at work on us that we can learn to acknowledge and untangle ourselves from. That we are at once caught up in this mess and given the grace to transcend it. And so the invitation of Jesus is to acknowledge the ways that perhaps we too are biased. 
and learn to untangle ourselves so that we can be the community of faith that God has called us to be, so that we can be the people that God has called us to be. Now Jesus wants to show us, wants to give us some tools, some ways of understanding and transcending those biases that impact us, that affect us. And there's a story in the Bible where Jesus demonstrates how to engage with and transcend our bias. Because Jesus isn't isn't just wanting to teach us some things. Jesus wants to show us some things. And the example might surprise you. What we're about to read, I have never heard preached on. I have stayed away from with a six-foot pole. There are some exciting things in the Bible. There's some hard things to hear. There's some difficult things. What we're about to read may make you a little bit uncomfortable. Makes me a little bit uncomfortable. A part of what we're called to do is courageously engage with what is really here and what is really here. The Bible is as complex as anything else. So let's turn to Matthew's gospel. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read the story um, in Matthew chapter 15, and then I think this story so maybe perhaps impacted Jesus so deeply, it impacted the way he would go on to teach in Matthew chapter 18. So hear these words from Scripture. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. These are Gentile places. Just then, a Canaanite woman, put a marker in Canaanite, by the way, Canaanite is an old term. There aren't any Canaanites running around in the time of Jesus. So to describe her as a Canaanite is already to put her in a certain kind of box that is a little bit out of place, but important. A Canaanite woman from the, re- from the region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus didn't answer her at all. And his disciples came out urging, or, and urged him, saying, Send her away. She keeps hollering at us. He answered, Finally, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed Instantly. Great is your faith. In chapter 18, Jesus teaches about true greatness. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. 
I don't know if you caught that. Jesus changed his mind. He only does that twice in Scripture. You're like, twice? He, does it. he did it another time? In John's Gospel, at the very beginning of John's Gospel, Jesus is at a wedding banquet. He's at a wedding party. And his mom comes up to him and says, hey, we're out of wine. And Jesus is like, come on, mom, not now, all right? It's not time. I, I, come on. And his mom probably gave him that look, you know, like, all right, mom, I'll do it. And there from water comes wine, a symbol of the abundance of Jesus' grace and welcome. And then later, and then in, in Matthew's gospel, later in his ministry, there's this moment where a Canaanite woman, odd and curious description, Canaanite woman in a Gentile space, in a Gentile place, approaches Jesus. Now, what's curious about that phrase is that if we look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, and I know that might be like, oh, that's a bore fest. Why do I want begat, 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 begat? It's fascinating. And in the genealogy of Jesus, there are three women who are lifted up who are all Canaanite women, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, Gentile women. In some ways, we might say that in Jesus' own body is Canaanite blood. There should be an openness, a willingness to accept this woman who has come. But perhaps Jesus fully human, and it's okay for Jesus to be fully human. Perhaps Jesus has some of these biases that are creeping in on him as well. Or perhaps Jesus knows that the only way for us to really learn the lessons that he wants to teach us is to show us. And so he does this uncomfortable and odd. He ignores her. He dismisses her. He doesn't answer. One of the biases that I want to lift up for us is community bias. That it's hard for us to see what our communities, the communities that we're involved in, don't, won't, or can't see. Community is important. I lifted up the value and importance of church last week that we can learn from the different perspectives that other people bring to our shared faith. That's a beautiful and enriching thing. However, the danger is thinking that in this community are all perspectives and all experiences. And sometimes our communities have blind spots too. And one of the struggles in, first century, in the first century that Jesus was engaged in was the struggle of how to relate to people who are different, Jews and Gentiles. Not to mention all of the social relations of honor and privilege and wealth and status and the different ways that society was brought up to. Jesus gets right in the messy middle of that. And here in this moment comes someone for whom the community has a hard, some in the community have a hard time seeing and accepting or maybe just even tolerating for a hot minute. Jesus had lots of people coming to him for help. Don't just... Not only that, there's another bias at work here. It's called complementarity bias. Complementarity bias, complement. We tend to listen to and engage with the ideas of people who are nice to us. If you're mean to me, doesn't matter how true you are. Doesn't matter what, what you have to say. I'm not going to hear it. What's the saying? They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. This Canaanite woman comes a hollering and a shouting and maybe comes acting in a way that the disciples and Jesus are like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's immunity bias, complementarity bias. We're not going to listen to you. And then Jesus does this really hard thing that we, we might want to explain away or try to work. 
Did Jesus just call her a dog? Yikes. I want to say this this morning. If Jesus can change his mind, so can I. If Jesus can change his mind, so can you. If Jesus is willing to show us that change is possible, then it's our job to make change happen within us, too. Jesus wants to demonstrate, embody, example, become an example of the very change he's inviting in us in how we see and understand and perceive the world. And so... He has this exchange, and I love this exchange. So in, in different parts of Matthew's gospel, there's this, there are these exchanges, and in, in the other gospel accounts, there are these exchanges where people try to trap Jesus. And Jesus is a clever wordsmith. Hey, Jesus, you see this coin? It's got Caesar's picture on it. Are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? If you answer yes, ha, you're an idolater. You think it's okay to have this graven image of someone else that other people worship in your possession. Aha, got you religiously. If you say, no, it's not okay to pay taxes, well, now you're a zealot and a resistor of the, of the Roman Empire, and now they're going to come down hard on you. We got you trapped. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Dope. When a woman is brought before Jesus who is purportedly caught in adultery... Don't bring the, per, the, the male companion in that act with her. And try to trap Jesus by asking him a tough question. What does he say? You who is without sin, throw the first stone. Jesus is so good at turning a phrase. And what happens in this moment? It's not good to give to the children, to the dogs. And she the Canaanite woman turns the phrase on its head just like Jesus would do and says, yes, but even the dogs can eat the crumbs. Indeed, in the ancient world, it wasn't uncommon for uh, Gentiles to have house pets to have, to have dogs. And it wasn't uncommon for the dogs to eat from under the table at the same time the family was eating, for there to be a simultaneous feeding between the children of the family and the dogs. And in some way, what what this, gen this Canaanite woman is saying is, there's enough for everybody. And as if Jesus recognized the own, his own way of going about his ministry and the way that he spoke with people trying to trap him, as if he recognized the expansive grace of God that this woman profoundly trusted and trusted in and through him, something happened. And he says something he says nowhere else in all the Gospels. Nowhere else is someone's faith called great. Great is your faith. Great is your faith. Something else fascinating happens. Does Jesus heal her daughter? Kind of. What does he say? Because of your faith, it will be done to her as you wish. Jesus, in a sense, gives his healing power to her and says, it's yours. And instantly, her daughter was healed. I want to say this again. If Jesus can change his mind, 
whether he meant to all along or whether in that moment he had a shift that reminded him of the very call that God had put into his hands. If Jesus can change his mind, so can we. But it's hard work to change our mind. It takes mental energy. Indeed, Jesus knows that it's such hard work that Jesus wants to give us some helpful ways to step into that hard, difficult way of discipleship. And so he, his disciples are squabbling, as they often are, and as Pastor Holly so beautifully demonstrated for us during the children's moment, his disciples are squabbling about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus is like, cool it, y'all. First of all, don't you remember what you saw back in Tyre and Sidon? Great faith is a woman who's been excluded and pushed away, dismissed and ignored, and who trusts the healing power of God's grace, who trusts the saving power of God's grace, who trusts the best in us even when we don't act it. Someone who who has that humility and tenacity, that's great faith. And he then says, basically, none of y'all got it. And he takes a child and says, you got to change and become like one of these. Now, he's not saying you got to be pure and innocent like a child. First of all, any of y'all have children? I love children. I love my children. That ain't true. What is Jesus saying when he compares a child to the way we all have to be to enter into the kingdom of God? I want to suggest a couple of things. Like the woman, the Canaanite woman, it means we have to know what it's like to be on the outside looking in. We have to have our heart shaped and influenced by what it's like to be excluded and marginalized and kicked out and pushed away. Because children in that day and age, they weren't exactly looked upon with great honor and privilege. They were kind of on the bottom with no rights and no personhood until they reached a certain age. They, they, Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to be like someone who's easily dismissed, ignored, and pushed away. In other stories, the, the children are kept away by Jesus' disciples. You can't, don't bother Jesus. Don't bother Jesus. That's not just true of children. It's true of all kinds of people. But the other thing I want to lift up for us is part of what it means for us to transcend and get beyond our biases that we all carry and we all have is to have a beginner's mind. An attitude that values learning. An attitude that's willing to be humble before new experiences and new information. That's willing to pay attention to our own shortcomings and our own perspectives and where we might be limited and where we might go astray. That is willing to learn and grow. When Jesus says, you got to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying is you got to be willing to learn and grow and pay attention to what's hard to pay attention to. One final bias is something called competency bias. Competency bias comes from the, there's a, there's a fancy scientific name, I think it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect, but people have studied this, and here's, here's what it is, you ready? This is kind of, this is humbling. We don't know just how much we don't know. You want to know who the worst evaluator of your competence is? You. In two respects, in two respects, to be fair, in two respects, many people overestimate their competence. And so we're unlikely to entertain new information and new perspectives and new ideas because they've already heard it before, they know it, it's all good, they just move on. 
But there are also people who underestimate their competence because they don't know how much they, how much or how little they don't know, and so who aren't willing to stand up in the face of misinformation because they don't have the confidence in what they know. And what Jesus is inviting all of us to do is to listen and to trust as Jesus did the compassion and grace and mercy that lives within each and every one of us is a gift of the image of God that is in every single one of us. To be able to be humble before new perspectives and new people and new experiences as well as to be able to change our mind and open our hearts as Jesus did in that moment when he said, great is your faith. So great, in fact, that the power of healing your daughter is now upon you. And she did. Jesus wants us to pay attention to the logs in our eyes, and Jesus is willing to embody the, the change that is necessary to see more clearly. And I think in that moment with the Canaanite woman, may have in some way impacted his way of saying, if you want to enter fully into the kingdom of God, you've got to be willing to listen and humble yourselves and learn with a beginner's mind, just like a child. You've got to be willing to be open to perspectives that are pushed away and dismissed. You've got to be willing to look again. The word respect, R-E, re, again, spect, specter, spectator, to look. If you want to know what it means to have deep spiritual respect for the image of God that exists in every single human person, it means we have to get disciplined about learning to look again. And that may be difficult. That may be hard work, but it's the high calling of Jesus on his people to be faithful to the love of God. And so this morning, I wonder what biases you bring to the table. I wonder what biases I bring to the table. I wonder what blind spots I have and ways that I can go about looking again to see the dignity and worth in people that I've dismissed or shortchanged, to open my heart and to listen. And I want to say this as I close. It's okay to change your mind. No matter how long you've held a belief or an idea, no matter what pastor or parent or person that you care deeply about who shared an idea or a perspective with you, it's okay to change your mind, to still love those people who have mattered to you, but to now see differently, to now learn how to see again. It's okay to change your mind. Jesus did. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.